This time I don't have my microphone hooked up to uh, my computer. So hopefully the uh, native microphone will be just fine. I'm sure it will be. It, sound, it sounds fine to me. And obviously, uh, I think quality gets lost a little bit when you're doing it over like the recording of Zooms anyway and stuff. So it shouldn't be too big of an issue. Okay. Um, but cool. All right. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode uh, of the podcast. I am joined by a familiar face, uh, someone that's been on the podcast with me before, um, Nate Rakiewicz. Uh, Nate is the, um, I guess, EVP, Head of Analytics for Fuse Machines. Um, we'll obviously dive into that in a little bit more detail uh, about what you guys are doing over there. Um, you've obviously been at HBO in the past, uh, Gartner, um, am I missing anything else? Uh, Reset Digital, obviously you did a big um, project there that maybe you can go into a little bit as well. Um, but yes, how are you? How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing great. It's great to be back together with you, Sam. You're looking, <laughs> looking splendid and I love the background. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I uh, thought it would uh, be quite a good backdrop for uh, something like this. So uh, so I went with it. But um, cool. Well, a lot's changed since we last uh, interacted uh, in, well, on, on camera anyway. Um, you've obviously changed, had a career change. I've gone off and got married. Um, uh, I've actually had a career change as well. I've obviously moved on to set up Sifter. Um, and then you have, at the time, you're obviously with uh, Reset Digital. Um, do you want to talk to us a bit about that in terms of the move for you and kind of what you guys are working on now? Yeah, I've spent uh, over you know 25 years of my career working in large enterprises and learned just so much as I was going through that journey. And there were a couple passion projects that I wanted to explore that uh, I never had the time to do. And among them was bringing some neuroscience to the world of advertising. And I had built some IP a couple of years ago uh, yeah. when I was between enterprises and had sat on that for some time and started working with and talking with Reset Digital uh, about having them acquire that IP and integrating it into their ad stack. And so when we spoke last, I had uh, left Gannett, where I was chief data officer, yeah. uh, for, you know, the largest news publisher in the country, yeah. um, spent the time with Reset Digital, uh, integrating that IP that had been sitting on the shelf into their ad stack platform and did that, got that to steady state, um, really excited about where that went. And, you know, that's off and running. Uh, I still am an advisor to Reset Digital. Um, we'll however, I started exploring, you know, the idea of getting closer to just this massive change that's happened since we talked also last, this massive boom around artificial intelligence. Yeah. And really exploded uh, last November with the introduction of ChatGPT kind of bursting it into the public consciousness. Not that artificial intelligence was new, but yeah. that's really what kind of put it into the zeitgeist uh, was ChatGPT. And so what I found was, you know, there are firms out there uh, and among them are those that I personally used in the past for artificial intelligence acceleration, like Fuse Machines. And Fuse Machines and I started having conversations and I joined them back in July in the summer um, as their EVP and head of data and analytics for North America uh, to really help companies accelerate their journey along data and AI. Uh, what you find when you find a boutique company like Fuse Machines is one that's really pushing the boundaries on both yep. data 
and accelerating the AI journey. Um, and you don't always see that when you're inside a big enterprise. You have to deal with other factions and factors when you're working within the big companies. But when you go to a, a consulting company that specializes in just that, you have the, the opportunity to really dig into something that I'm personally very passionate about, which is helping organizations navigate their supply chain of data and AI so that they can realize the potential of predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics that we've all talked about for years, but has yeah. been really uh, uh, difficult for many companies to achieve. Awesome. And I, I know this is kind of something we touched on before um, when we were sort of talking about, I guess, uh, this episode and things, but that that AI explosion to the public, do you think, do you think it solely did come from that chat GPT um, eruption and just sort of like all of a sudden it was like really in the public space, public eye. So investors jump on board with it. All these startups or, or you know, brand new companies are just being founded to try and catch onto this wave and things like, do you think it was just that, that, that how public it became once chat GPT came about, or do you think this is always going to be inevitable anyway? I believe that it was going to be inevitable anyway. However, it was predicted to not happen for several years. Yeah. And it really chat GPT um, coming onto the, the scene back in November that brought like, that's when the dam burst uh, and things that were predicted to happen over the next several years, all of a sudden happened all at once. Yeah. And, it really exploded into the zeitgeist. It exploded into, you know, you saw it every every morning on CNBC. Uh, they were talking about AI. They weren't doing that a year ago. No. And so you have this 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 uh, catalyst, if you will, for something that was already happening. I mean, you know, my teams have been working on building neural networks. Uh, for years, working with XGBoost for years, working with natural language processing for years. Fuse Machine's been building chatbots in the generative AI space for 10 years. Um, yeah. So these aren't, artificial intelligence isn't something that wasn't happening, but it wasn't happening at the scale that it's happening at and at the speed that you're seeing it um, happening at as a result of this catalyst, this explosion of interest in it uh, and excitement about it and hype about it. And now we've got to sort through um, the signal from the noise within that hype. Yeah. And you feel like, because obviously, like, I mean, chatbots have been around for a while. I think the capabilities of them seems to be really getting up there. I mean, even you hear of, I guess, a, a step further to a chatbot is dealing with, you know, on on the call customer complaints and like real time conversations happening with with AI. And a customer might not even know that they're on. I think Google demonstrated it at one of their uh, product launches. Um so do you think that now, I mean, I mean, Fuse Machine's obviously been in this space for, for over 10 years, you say, in terms of chatbots, like, I guess, yeah. what, where do you foresee yourselves going with this and taking this new technology that exists and kind of putting that out to your customers and clients that, that I know you're working with? So chatbots have been at the heart of our, you know, DNA uh, for, for years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're, we're working on, for example, uh, and uh, an out-of-the-box solution around um, rec recruiting. Uh, so this is one that might be interesting oh, nice. in your role, um, yeah. where you can have you know a, a system that is being used to ask and actually conduct interviews yeah. for specific job specs. And so we've got some technology that's uh, being built internally right now so that that can be offered as an out-of-the-box, what we call AI engine, 
mm-hmm. um, offer to recruiters um, yeah. and maybe universities that are training their students on how to prepare for the job market and how to prepare for interviews so they could go through samples of these things on what the interview process might look like. Yeah, I mean, that would be awesome, especially for that, uh, I guess, the first stage of sort of really screening candidates and kind of getting just that in-depth insight into the background of what they have done previously or what they're looking for, et cetera. And then then obviously management and and so on can can take over with that still. Uh, It would be a bit, I don't foresee it being taken over like the whole interview process where just one day someone shows up at work and they're like yeah i passed the uh <laughs> i passed the ai interview process i'm uh, i now work here <laughs> that's right <laughs> um with with views machines and I, I know there's obviously a ton of people in this space in ai machine learning i know that you and i have spoke to uh, each other a fair few times and, and i know quite a lot about your background your history you've been involved in data science analytics working with tons of different companies but with fuse machines you know what what is it that really drew you to fuse machines and what is it that sets fuse machines apart from from i guess others in this space so i've known fuse machines for many years at this point um they've been around for over 10 years as a company and their emphasis on education is one of the things that first attracted me to the company Uh, as well as their emphasis on supporting underserved communities. Their mission is to democratize AI. And what that means is they believe, and we believe, that um, talent is everywhere. Talent can be developed everywhere, but opportunities aren't everywhere. And so what we try to do is bring together opportunities that may be, for instance, in North America, with talent that we're developing, specifically in countries like Nepal. We have over 400 AI engineers and data engineers, most many of whom are PhDs uh, in Nepal right now. Nepal itself doesn't necessarily have the biggest opportunities in terms of deals that they could do. That's yeah. where we put together, you know, fuse machines to bring solutions to uh, companies such as in North America. Um, and fuse machines was actually one that was introduced to me many years ago as one that could potentially help me on navigating my companies uh, that I was working in through their data and AI journey. And it's uh, it's been at two different companies that I've personally hired Fuse Machines in the past. And I've uh-huh. seen firsthand the amazing work that they can do around data engineering, around machine learning engineering, on helping companies navigate that. So yeah. I, love, I love the social mission of helping underserved communities. Um, I love the education mission. Our, our company was founded by our CEO, Samir Maskey, who is a PhD himself and is a professor of machine learning and AI yeah. at Columbia University. He actually just started a new course at Columbia University, specifically focused on generative AI. He really gets it and understands this, not just from an academic perspective, but from a pragmatic perspective of here's what's actually going to be needed in the workplace, in the working environment. Yeah. Um, it's why he founded the company 10 years ago and why he founded uh, his curriculum was he saw that in the schools at the time, curriculum wasn't keeping up to speed with where the job market was and where the actual need was in the marketplace. And he wanted to develop curriculum um, that could be used in universities to help those students be prepared for the job market. Um, it's why we sponsor things like a fellowship program. Yeah. Um, 
students around the world uh, can uh, take this test. It's a very difficult test. Not many people pass it. Um, but if they do, there's a fellowship program that we offer that's about a year's worth of training um, that is specifically designed to helping the students uh, really learn about artificial intelligence. And in Nepal, we have a really strong fellowship program in particular, where yeah. the graduates of this, we take you know the top 2% or whomever it happens to be at the very top of the top, and they are offered the opportunity to have internships within Fuse Machines um, in Nepal. And so we basically use that curriculum and that fellowship program as a way of also onboarding potential staff for the Nepal team. Um, wow. and we get the best of the best as a result of that. And yeah. it's through kind of building our own workforce uh, through this really strong emphasis on education and serving those underserved communities. That's awesome. And I know um, it's, you, you're stretching into sort of Latin America with that as well, right? Like, I know there's obviously a big presence there in Nepal, but I think you'd mentioned there was a bit of a Latin America um, increase also. That's right. And we just started the fellowship program in Latin America over the past year. We're really excited about that. We're opening offices in Latin America. Uh, yeah. We've got an office in Canada. Uh, we just opened up an office in uh, southern India in Kochi uh, as wow. well. And so we're expanding our global footprint of talent and uh, the emphasis on education to bring these underserved communities the opportunity to learn this AI that we're trying to democratize to these uh, communities and then to be able to contribute in positive ways that are beneficial as win-wins to them and as beneficial as win-wins to the companies that we serve. Yeah, I think last time we spoke as well is um, Nepal and India have obviously been, uh, they've like had an eruption of the sort of tech talent and it's incredible out there. Um, but Latin America has been somewhere where I've noticed a few uh, people like yourselves who are heading up analytics and, and you know, chief data officers are really investing into um, Latin America talent because it's a bit, you know, you've got obviously the term sort of offshore, it's nearshore um, talent that sort of operates in that same time zone. Because I think one of the biggest problems that has been is when people are working with offshore projects and things, having, especially when you have customers and clients that are US based, it, it, the time, just the time zone and the time difference can just become a, a sort of, uh, you know, a bit of a hindrance there. So I think having the, the Nepalese talent uh, working with you guys and getting the top of the top there is great. But also, it's awesome to see Fuse Machines invest into that, like Latin America talent, whilst also I imagine your customers and clients are going to benefit from that as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we see that they're very um, appreciative of the time zone um, alignment, uh, for sure. <laughs> Um, you have to take a look at costs as well. Um, costs in Latin America are a bit higher than they are elsewhere in the world. So you have to yeah. factor those things in. Yeah, awesome. And I guess whilst we're on the subject of talent then, that's obviously a space that, that I operate in. It's probably the only place where I can sort of hold my own in a conversation with you talking about <laughs> data science that. analytics. No, you, you're very well versed. <laughs> so anything technical is like when speaking to people and they start getting too technical i'm like a lot of what you're saying is going over my head now but <laughs> um with like the talent side of things you know it's always been a challenge as a hiring manager and i'm and i'm sure you you've had this a thousand times over the years in terms of finding the right talent building the right talent getting the right budgets to find that talent and just to find like look we need extra budget so we can go and get exactly what we need and things like that can you talk to me a little bit more from your perspective i i mean i see the sort of 
the headaches and the, the, the growth pains from my side. And, and I deal with that with tons of different companies, tons of different hiring managers who all have different processes and stuff. But yeah, how, how have you sort of handled? Yeah, I mean, what, what have you got any like cool headache stories that you've had? And sort of, I guess, how have you handled those yourself over the years? Like, what's your approach to growing teams and things in this space? So in this space, it's difficult um, because, you know, data science is difficult to find good, high quality talent for. Um, I saw years ago just the need for artificial intelligence and machine learning to find talent for that is was was very difficult as well. Yeah, um, It's where, you know, I've tried to find a hybrid solution um, in the enterprise data management organizations that I've built um, that really brings together um high caliber staff that are in-house, but augmenting them with a blend of outsourcing um, uh, support, uh, where that outsourcing is very specialized in something that we may not have a skill in. Uh, yeah. Because what, what ends up happening in, in, in any uh, technology boom is that there's niche talent that needs to emerge. Uh, and there's you know the, the learning curve that we go through um, and what you find is that a lot of that talent, let's call it AI talent, for instance, tends to coalesce around consulting companies first. Yeah. And so the consulting companies are the ones that are home to the highest volume of experts in a particular field. This, yeah. ha- this, this happens with any technology. And so from there, you, you look to those companies as, you know, um, as, as kind of the shining light of where you should be going. And so it makes a lot of sense when you're starting off on that journey or trying to get your company over the hump of moving from descriptive analytics onto predictive analytics, onto prescriptive analytics. How do you get over that hump? Yeah. Um, the way that I've done it is I've looked to hire some senior talent internally. Um, and so to have you know one or two solid machine learning engineers you know, a, a handful of very solid senior data scientists, and then to augment them with an outsourcing company that we can then bring in uh, the more junior talent and yeah. some senior talent, but they've been down this road before. They know how to do this. And so they don't need as much direction. So yeah. doing that is the way that I've really advised companies to start. It's why a company like Fuse Machines is a, such a great partner uh, to companies on their analytics journeys um, is getting that right blend. Now, over time, you have the opportunity to take your more junior talent internally and yep. upskill them through training, upskill them through shadowing, and eventually taking some of those initial use cases that you implement with the blend of in-house plus staff augmentation to have them take over that so that you then have that staff augmentation move on to the next use case that they might be the experts in because they've already built these things and done these use cases for other companies. And so having that kind of high-level guide with the mid-level augmentation with your junior staff that are coming up to speed internally and being upskilled is a formula that I've found to be very successful. And I think this a very clever way to kind of go about it because at least then it's not, I think the way that you're going about it there really helps your projects stay quite consistent and move along at a nice pace. And then and none of the work is sort of getting 
left behind whilst you're trying to really build this sort of world-class team from scratch or anything like that from junior to senior talent you're getting that senior talent in quite quickly and then it's being complemented with that external support like you said um, it also the benefit of that is also it allows for you to um, adjust to scale up and scale down um, so you know by having the outsourcing partner you can handle your demand your your internal demand for projects you can scale it up when you need it you can scale it down when you need it. Yeah. And so from a budgeting perspective, you know, as you're going through project by project or quarter by quarter of budgeting or annual budgeting, you can think through the ability to scale up and scale down without impacting your core staff. Yeah. That's uh, that is interesting. I, I think a lot of people could learn a lot from that. You see people, I think some, I mean, you, you obviously been in the, uh, in the industry for a long time now, as you, you probably uh, built and, learned learned throughout the whole recruitment process over the years i see a lot of hiring managers get involved and they're kind of it's like their first head of data science job or their first vp of data science job so they're really excited and sort of probably tell themselves or they promise like leadership like i'm going to build the best data science i'm going to build the best machine learning team uh america's ever seen or anything like that and then they make it their mission to do that and then that can i think it's harder than a lot of people realize it's very hard. And, you know, there's there's cases where you do want to do that. If that is your core competency as an organization, you absolutely want to ultra invest in that. But yeah. expect that it's going to take a ton of work because senior AI engineers are in very rare supply. Um, it's very difficult to find senior AI engineers. Yeah. It's easier to find more junior ones. And so you can find those, but you have to figure out where are those going? Who is going to manage those people? Yeah. Are they of the right caliber? Um, so it, it, expect to have a hard time recruiting these folks. I think that's a good little segue actually into the other question I was going to ask you is around keywords and hot phrases in the market. Like we talked about, you know, um, probably November last year, you said that you really noticed like, you know, once ChatGPT came out and the eruption of this AI wave uh, came about, there's probably a, a wave of keywords and, and things being added to resumes all over the place. And I see this on a daily basis. <laughs> I'm obviously looking at resumes all day, every day. And all of a sudden people started putting Gen AI expert, LLM expert, and all these, they're an expert in all these things that it wasn't on their resume 12 months ago. Um, and I just think like, I guess maybe, I don't know if you've dealt with this just yet. It's probably something that's about to come up, but I, I, I've started dealing with it is really talking to people about what exactly have you done in this space? Um, because if a client is looking for something, you know, and say five years experience leveraging GPT models or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's going to be very rare that anybody has that unless they literally worked for like OpenAI from day one or something like right. that. So um, like, how do you kind of go around that then when you are looking for people in that space or, you know, maybe not specifically like Gen AI and stuff, but I'm sure you've seen it when the, when the old hot topics and the old hot phrases came out. How do you deal with getting around, like finding out who's just putting these things on their resumes versus who actually has that background and actually has that experience that can be leveraged. Yeah. I mean, th this is a classic story though, right? And with, with, with each trend that we see in technology, suddenly things get morphed. I mean, this is, 
uh, where, um, you know, BI professionals, uh, business intelligence professionals sometimes started calling themselves data scientists exactly, um, yeah. and uh, marketing themselves as that, even though they weren't really doing data science. Uh, we see the same thing in the product space. DMP platforms, data management platforms, started yeah. calling themselves CDP platforms, consumer data platforms, when CDPs became more more relevant. Um, what you what I what I started seeing even a year ago before the explosion, as AI was starting to pick up sp steam, all these companies that had rule based automation started calling themselves AI companies, even though they weren't AI companies. So, yeah. People started confusing automation, software automation, with artificial intelligence. And so what I saw was a lot of salespeople kind of that didn't understand the difference between automation and artificial intelligence dropping AI as, you know, what it what it was that their companies did. Yeah. Uh, so you see it, it's not just a recruiting thing, it's a product thing, it's a sales thing. It's, um, you know, uh, a staff uh, career development thing. Um, and you've just got to be aware of what what are those those what are those tipping points that people are trying to take something that they were already doing and calling it the new thing. Yeah. Right? And, and you've just got to be uh, savvy about that as somebody that's going through and doing the recruiting is is you know understanding the the age of these new technologies like you said have they there's there's nobody out there with five years of chat gpt experience right yeah yeah and so you've got to be aware of the history of these technologies um aware of what preceded them and really sniff out that transition point um i think that that's you know a nuance and a kind of unique skill of recruiting itself that you've got to be able to be skilled at yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously, in my position, I'm being, when I'm working with clients and, and organizations, that's why I'm being, you know, engaged, right? This is why they're saying, like, you make sure that basically don't send us people that clearly aren't as experienced as their resume might be suggesting, and it's up to me to go and screen and canvas that candidate and things. So I, you know, I've dealt with that over the years as well. It's I just, imagine I imagine that you're seeing just uh, an explosion of prompt engineering as a skill at this just, point. Just everything you can think of that well, I think I get why people do it. It's like to try and get involved in that new hot space and like you it doesn't help when you see headlines of Netflix paying people nine hundred thousand dollars a year to be a prompt engineer like like you just brought up and stuff. So people obviously get drawn to that and attracted to that and they try and do anything that can make their resume stand out amongst the others i mean uh i don't know if you've seen lately but if you post a, a senior machine learning engineer um oh, one sec. if you if you post a senior machine learning engineer role on uh linkedin these days they, they'll get a th it'll get a thousand applicants on linkedin within within two days and it's just like how's a hiring manager supposed to go through that speak to every single one or go through it, even just go through every resume. It's like you, you might be applying to a role and you might be the most qualified person out of that thousand, but there is a chance that your resume never even gets seen because hiring managers are human beings that aren't going to sit there and, and sift through uh, a thousand resumes or right. and things like that. So it's, uh, I think it's always going to be an ongoing problem. I think tools like the one you talked about developing, um, it will be very like in terms of, getting the AI to jump on a call with these people and stuff. So 
Yes, 100%. To have AI do the initial screening uh, of these candidates to try and uh, tease out specifically, and you could train the AI to ask certain questions that get at whether or not that is a transition point uh, or it is, in fact, a new skill that they've learned uh, and have experience with. Um, and you can leverage AI itself for doing the extracts out of their resumes. Um, you know, uh, but this is where keyword stuffing becomes a problem. Yeah, it, it's, it's 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 kind of a uh, an arms race, if you will, of keywords. Yeah, well, at, uh, I mean, we're coming up towards the end. My one thing I wanted to go over with you, my last final question. Uh, I'm going to ask this to everyone I speak to on this podcast series uh, and wrap up every every episode with. What is your and you? I've not told you about this question, obviously. So this is uh, this is going to be straight uh, freestyling for you. But what's your next big prediction for where we go next with AI? Like obviously, ChatGPT came out, but where? What do you think is going to be the next big thing that we see from AI that explodes in the public eye? Uh, my prediction would be that it's going to become more human, uh, and by that I mean integrate more emotion into the conversation um, and start, start to exhibit these things. One of the stories that uh, a friend of mine likes to tell, um, who's the chief futurist at Deloitte, a uh, right. gentleman named uh, Mike Bechtel, um, he, he likes to compare the next phase of AI. And, and I've spoken uh, at, at uh, a conference with him together. We spoke about this. Oh, nice. Uh, is, is that emotion is really going to be um, enveloped into the conversation um, so that these machines can seem and feel more human. Right now, they still sound robotic, right? The yeah. response that you get from them, still fantastic, but they sound very logical. They don't sound emotional. And what you're going to see is, is that, and what, what he likes to equate it to is a Star Wars analogy and the Millennium Falcon. And, you know, where we are today is, with AI is still more similar to the Millennium Falcon being flown by C-3PO. And if you're not yeah. familiar with C-3PO, it's the robot. I know, I know. <laughs> and, and do you really want C-3PO to be the one navigating the Millennium Falcon when you have the, the biggest challenges, the biggest fights that it's got to go into? Well, he used to run away. Uh, he was a big wimp, right? He, he yeah, wanted yeah. to surrender all the time. Um, that's not who you want uh, really flying the Millennium Falcon. Who you want flying the Millennium Falcon is Chewbacca. Chewbacca was the hero, right? And Chewbacca was this emotional wreck, right? He was screaming all the time, shouting yeah. all the time, and it was just pure emotion. And I think what you're going to see is a transition in generative AI from being more C-3PO-like to being more Chewbacca-like. Right. That's a, I love that. That's a great way to end this episode on a uh, nice little Star Wars reference there. Uh, the, uh, the best man from my wedding is a massive Star Wars fan. So he'll love that as well. <laughs> but uh, Nate, I really appreciate you coming on. It's amazing to hear about all the stuff you're doing at Fuse Machines. I think the fellowship program is uh, incredible. I can't wait to see the results that you guys uh, get back from that. I think it's going to be amazing for not just you guys, but the people that are being, you know, uh, supported by that fellowship program as well and the opportunities that you're providing um, and uh, yes I'm sure it won't be too long before we get you back on find out what, Sam, what you've Sam, been it's to. always yeah Sam it's always great talking with you uh, this has uh, been a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to uh, staying in touch awesome thanks Nate I appreciate it